0: Welcome to episode 33 of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Becky Goddard-Hill. So Becky is an award-winning writer. She's a children's therapist and she's got a post-grad in psychotherapy. Her background is in social work. She used to work as a child development trainer and as a children's bereavement therapist. She's the author of the Create Your Own book series. So there's like uh, Create Your Own Happy, Create Your Own Calm, Create Your Own Kindness, and they're based around like activities and ideas that we can do with children and young people and teenagers to improve the way that they look after themselves and their own well-being and how they can get in touch with their, just their emotions and their feelings and, and vocalise it and all those sorts of things. Um, so I often read a magazine called Happyful Magazine, which is like a well-being, wellness type of thing. And I read an article in there that Becky had written called How to Teach Kids Self-Kindness. And I just thought, what a fantastic idea for an episode of the podcast, because we're so reactive towards mental health at the moment. And we know a lot of things that can help us look after our mental health and even improve our mental health. But we don't always think too much about why we struggled with our mental health in the first place. And, you know, I know that's a uh, conversation for the, the therapy chair, not really for a podcast, but I love this idea that we can... I've got kids right I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old and I want to prepare them you can probably hear them in the background um I want to prepare them for life the best I can you know and so much around mental health and this whole thing about not being able to talk not being able to express ourselves not being able to um feel good about ourselves what's that sorry mate um, tell you something? yeah go on um I am trying to put Mario Galaxy 2 on but the gamepad won't work. Okay, mate. I'm, I'm asking Meg to do it on the gamepad, but I'm I'm asking Meg to do it on the pad what she do. Oh, right, okay. Daddy come have a look now. Let me just pause this a sec. <laughs> so there you go. That was a bit ironic, wasn't it, for a uh, an episode about <laughs> about dealing with small children. Anyway, like I was saying, the um yeah, how we feel about ourselves, how we access our emotions, how we talk about ourselves how we work out our place in the world you know it's, it's so so tricky and how we see that starts of course when we're young and it's really easy to kind of you know speak to our children in a way that maybe maybe they don't feel heard enough maybe they don't feel seen maybe they struggle to um you know to find the right words to describe how they're feeling and you know, children are great at showing their emotions, but because they tend to show it by um, crying or shouting or fuss, then the first thing we do is tell them to, to be quiet or to stop. And it just creates this really strange space where they're feeling something and not able to express it. And I really wanted to explore the idea of that. I really wanted to explore, you know, particularly at the moment, you know, with the whole pandemic and schools have been opening and closing, and it's been a tough year for the kids, say, eh, at all ages. And I just wanted to chat to someone who could kind of guide me through the idea of being able to, um, yeah, just to get kids to be able to feel good about themselves and build that inner confidence and that inner resilience and be able to express themselves. And um, I asked Becky about, you know, the difference between having a child who's quite shy... And a child who's maybe struggling with anxiety and how we can kind of look at these things and how we can start to um, just put different things into the way that we parent and the way that we talk to our children, but also to have some some activities, you know, some things we can actually do to bring this bring this to the fore and really really focus on it so that's kind of what we chat about we chat about raising emotionally healthy children we chat about allowing children to feel and vocalize their feelings the importance of getting out in nature and getting them to connect with the world around them how to build confidence and how to how to empower them, you know, to really like take control of of themselves and how they see themselves and how they feel about themselves in the world. And it was kind of like really early on in the conversation, it it dawned on me that everything that Becky was talking about is completely applicable to adults as well. And she might be using some words that are more child friendly or putting them in activities that are suitable for small children, but this is going to work. You know, I was thinking about, you know, how it applied to me and how it applies to me now. And there is that thing, isn't there? I don't know a great deal about it, but the you you reparent yourself, I think it's like a therapy technique or something. Um, but yeah, there's, some of this stuff is just like, it's useful to me now. And as a father or two, I uh, ask Becky loads of questions about what's going on with like my own kids as well. So there's some of that in there. And yeah, she was just wonderful to talk to. I had so much fun. We'd only been chatting for a couple of minutes and I felt like I knew her forever. And it was one of those conversations where I really came away thinking, wow, I've like... You know, I've really took something away from this that I can use, that I can start to implement and that I can start to, um, you know, to make some changes in the way that I talk to my kids and, you know, maybe do a a better job if I can. Um, I've put the link to the Happy Full article, How to Teach Kids Self-Kindness. I've put that in the notes. There's also a link. To Becky's website, a beautiful space, and that's where uh, you can read like all her blogs and stuff, which she's won multiple awards for. She writes about well-being and parenting and all different sorts of stuff in that in that world. You can connect to her on social media um, at Becky Goddard Hill and at emotionally healthy underscore kids. If you want to have a chat with me, I'm on all social media at Proper Mental Podcast, And if you go to my website, www.propermentalpodcast.com, um, you can email me through there. There's some bits about me and how the podcast came about. Um, and then there's some few other things on there now. I'm starting to kind of rack up a few other podcast appearances for myself on other people. So there's a link to all them there. So you can go and check me out Um you know and what I've got to say on those if you had two minutes to subscribe and leave me a review I've not had a review for ages so that'd be great if you could um chuck me with some stars five ideally and write some kind words that'd be great um that's it that's everything you need to know this is proper mental podcast episode 33 my guest this week is Becky Goddard Hill thank you for listening enjoy So here we are with another episode of The Proper Mental Podcast, and I'm joined today by Becky Goddard-Hill. How are you, mate? Hi, Tom. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me, Becky. I really appreciate your time.
1: You're welcome. I'm looking forward to talking about this. It's such an important subject
0: yeah definitely i'm really really excited for this one i think you know we can come up with some really like um actionable useful information for people which is just which is just brilliant um just to kick us off becky because i know you do a few different things in a in the same space but are you able to like uh, tell me what is it that you do
1: <laughs> i am yeah well i many years ago I used to be a social worker and then i stopped work when i had my children and started to write and now in my later years i'm 50 this summer I have managed to get to a place where I bring together my love for words with my real interest in kids' emotional health and well-being. And I write books for HarperCollins about that, activity books that are just packed full of ways we can support kids' emotional health so that they are robust and resilient and able to cope with life's challenges rather than waiting for something to go wrong and then getting social work involvement or therapeutic involvement I also work one day a week for action for children doing direct therapy with kids with emotional health challenges I have a podcast called Emotionally Healthy Kids and Tom I'm ashamed to say I have eight blogs (laughs) (laughs) I've been blogging for about 10 or 11 years now and I keep having a new interest so I just think I'll start a new blog on that four of them are really well five are really active and the rest are a little bit dormant but yeah I keep myself very busy.
0: Yeah, there's a lot, go, lot going on there, right? A lot going yeah. on. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I'll make sure I put like links to the blogs and stuff <laughs> in the episode notes. But I've been, I've been reading through um, some of your blogs in like preparation for this, okay. and I just think so many of the things that you're that you're you're writing about and that you're um, you're working with like parents so that they can help their children. So many yes. of these these things that keep coming up, we find that as adults these are things that can massively impact our mental health and our our mental health sorry and our mental well-being and the idea that we can kind of like teach these skills these coping mechanisms almost to our children to prepare them for life because so much mental health stuff is societal right and society isn't going to change so we have to look at how we can navigate that and how we can prepare our children to navigate that absolutely
1: agree and I think if you work with younger children when they are used to being taught, when they're receptive to information coming from adults, you've got a really good in there. Whereas if you work with older children, you know, when, when they're in the later teens or 20s they're not necessarily so receptive to being given advice and guidance. So I I tend to go for the younger age, know, primary school age, where kids are very used to absorbing information and putting things into action and trying it out. Because then I think when the challenges come in their teen years, You've got a kid who knows how to look after themselves.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's like laying those really um, useful foundations.
1: Yeah, I mean, we do it with handwriting, don't we? We get them to practice it again and again and again so that when they're older, they can write easily. And we do the same with reading, put so much work into it so they're able to easily read. We should put the same work into their emotional health and well being, so that when life does, you know, hit them in the face and the challenges come up because they will and they do, they've got some coping skills in there rather than just hoping that they're robust. We need to give them those tools. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that acceptance that life is going to be challenging. There is no avoiding it, right?
1: There is no avoiding it. People are going to die. People are going to get divorced. People are going to get ill. Jobs are going to be lost. It happens. And it's, and it's life sadly, isn't it? And I think um, you can either dig deep and find ways to cope with those challenges or, they, they knock you over and if you haven't been taught how to cope it can be very hard can't it you know it's about being lucky then it's about having good friends around you or a secure family or you know just that maybe genetic kind of robust attitude but a lot of people haven't got that and, and life can really knock them for six. so we teach it right
0: yeah definitely yeah that's fantastic so when we talk about health everybody knows what physical health is we're kind of getting to a stage where more people are coming to understand what mental health is yes but there's other facets of health that are less commonly talked about so how's how's the best way to describe emotional health
1: emotional health is ha- well it's everything isn't it it's everything it's how you think it's how you feel And it's how you behave because our emotional health drives our behavior. It drives our communication and it massively impacts our physical well-being too. And I think people forget that. They think, oh, physical health, you know, that's a practical thing. But emotional health, well, that's just about, you know, people being a bit woolly or not being able to cope. But actually the two are really, really combined, aren't they? Because stress in our minds puts stress in our body. And physical health issues can also affect our emotional health. So they're absolutely... Interlinked in our brains and in our lives, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's something I've, that I've I've read in your work as well is talking um, about the language around these things and teaching kids to be able to like express themselves and talk yes. about their emotions. And as an adult, that's like, how, most people don't, they don't know even how to feel their own feelings, they don't know how to process them. Finding the words for them is challenging. Finding the words,
1: definitely. The first thing I do in every therapy session I ever do with any young person, is we play a little game where we name as many feelings as we can. Now, obviously, I've been doing this for years, so I can go on to about 100, and kids get all that. Like, oh, yeah, I can, you know, I can get to 20, and they get to about seven or eight, and they start to repeat themselves. Because we've got a limited vocabulary about, about words, you know, about words that describe our emotions. So once they've done had happy, sad, angry, fearful, jealous, it's a bit like um, annoyed, um and then they're struggling but the more words we've got to describe how we feel means we don't have to bottle it up and kids don't have to show it because if they haven't got the words they often show how they feel maybe we're slamming a door or maybe we're by withdrawing you know because all behavior is communication isn't it but if we give them the words instead words get people to help you so if my child was to say to me i feel really angry my teacher didn't listen to me at school i can talk to them about that and Perhaps unpick pick it and give them a bit of help. But if they come in and they slam the door so hard that a cup falls on the floor and spills coffee over my work, you know, or something like that, I'm going to be annoyed. So using language can enable people to help you. And that's so powerful. And that's something I try and get across to kids. So we have a go at naming as many feelings as we can. Then I encourage them to use them. And I say, Nate, tell me when you last felt scared. And go well I felt scared when and then I'll say tell me what makes you happy oh, I feel happy when and they're starting to put words into sentences and use it and comments I'm always start therapy that because if I don't what I find is we really struggle to get anywhere because the language isn't there around feelings and I want them to be comfortable talking about difficult feelings you know and to say I feel angry because We're almost taught that we shouldn't say, I feel angry, particularly boys and men. It's like, oh, no, you're meant to step away from that. But of course, anger can be really good. It can be really useful if it propels you to take good action, you know. If it makes you change something that's wrong, anger can be good, but it's how you use it. And of course, words are far better than actions when it comes to more challenging and negative emotions like like anger or fear, rather than run away from something, being able to talk it through and get some support is the best way to deal with it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I suppose the better that our children can um, vocalise these things, then the more we can almost kind of like validate them, right? Because yeah. I think it's really, really common when... Um, you know, when small children and they say like, oh, you know, I'm scared and like for a parent to go, ah, you'll be all right. It's fine. Yeah, and or, we... or
1: there's nothing to be scared about. Oh, excuse me for having a feeling then that's totally like not important or valuable. I mean, that not that awful? Can you imagine me saying to you today, Tom, I'm scared about doing this podcast? And you went, there's nothing to be scared about. Don't be silly. I think, oh, okay. But if you said to me instead, well, you know, I, I understand that, but I'll, you know, I'm a friendly guy and I'll make it comfortable and it'll all be very natural. So I think it will be less scary than you think. I think, oh, okay, that's going to be good. You know? So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Validating feelings is really, really important. And also, once you've done that, you can then move to problem solving. And that's really important skill for kids because if they stick with the problem dwelling, like going over and over again, what's wrong? Same with adults. This is all of this applies all the way through. You know, someone vents and then they vent again and then they vent again. It's it's a bit pointless, really, because one, it's been heard, but two, the more you focus on something, the bigger it gets, doesn't it? You know, if yeah, whatever you focus on. If you focus on the fact Christmas is coming, oh, you're all excited because Christmas is coming. But if you focus on the fact that you've got. Um, some really scary exam, and it's scary, it's scary, and you go over and over, the fear gets bigger. So we want kids to talk about their their problems in terms of their feelings, you know? This is how I feel, this is what's wrong. We hear that, and then we help them move to what can we do about this? What can make it better? And teach them that rather than staying in problem dwelling they move to problem solving and that makes them feel powerful because when you're just stuck with the emotions, you can feel that it's being done to you and there's nothing you can do. And it can be quite a helpless feeling.
0: Yeah. I suppose it's very easy to get trapped in a, like a negative, a negative (laughs) cycle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as adults, we, you know, we can meet a friend for coffee. You can go to therapy. You can do all these things to be able to talk about how you think and how you feel. But as as a child, you haven't got that, that option, right? That's right. right. And
1: not all adults have that either. You know some people don't feel they should put their burdens on people for some people it might not feel like a manly thing to do to talk about their feelings you know we look at the rates of male suicide and they're enormous aren't they because they've not reached out for help so i'm particularly interested in working with boys around around emotional expression they do seem to find it harder even sort of six or seven there's something there that isn't there with the girls that i do therapy with that that ease of talking about emotions isn't there at that young age? So you you think, gosh, without support, how's that going to end up, really? You know, so it's very important, I think. But I I don't think it should be that when you get into therapy, you have these sessions. I think schools need to be absolutely. I'm just going to shut the door, Tom, because the wind is knocking <laughs> over here. Oh, the pleasures of working from home,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah, indeed, yeah. (laughs) I do apologise.
1: So, yeah, I think rather than waiting for things to go wrong before we give kids these skills, they need to come in at home and at school and be part of the way we teach.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean that just sounds like a lovely way to live in general. If we could yeah. all have that and that would eliminate so much of this, you know, to bring it back to mental health, so much of the like the stigma and people, you know, people not feeling they can talk about it and ask yeah. for help and stuff like that. Just courage that that conversation. Yeah. Does all that start to feed in then to building, um, I think you call it uh, emotional resilience. Does yes. that start to form, you know, definitely where where you're going with that?
1: Yeah, definitely. If you can think, right, I can talk about what's what's weighing me down. And I can ask someone to help me. I mean, they're just the most two key things, aren't they, to helping. But there's also lots of other stuff. So my books, just to explain, I'll show you one just to explain, because they all follow a similar format. This is Create Your Own Calm. And it's for six to 12-year-olds. But it starts off with teaching kids to calm themselves down. So rather than waiting for somebody to come in and give them that hug or to come and, you know, um, tell them it's all going to be okay, It's about teaching them that they have the power to look after themselves, just the same way they'd look after a friend. So the way I always explain it to kids is you just got to treat yourself like your very own best friend, you know, and not let yourself down. So if you're sad, don't start hurting yourself. You wouldn't do that to a friend, would you? Your friend's crying and they're sad because they're missing, um, I don't know, their grandfather who died, perhaps. You won't go over and start like scratching their arm or bashing them around the head or not feeding them, you give them a cuddle, you'd make them nice food, perhaps, you know, you'd talk to them, you'd help them reminisce you need to treat yourself that that well. And that's what so all of my books, the first section starts with how to calm yourself down. You know, so the book on kindness, it's about being kind to yourself first. You know, the book on, on create your own happy, it's all about how do you make yourself happy? Because you've got to start with yourself. And if people know how to treat themselves well, that can really really help with emotional resilience because then it doesn't actually matter what's going on in the world you can look after yourself at least to some degree and even the youngest child can do that you know they can give themselves a hug they can do a little bit of yoga they can go and find their favorite fuzzy jumper pull it out of their comfort box pop it on and read their you know their favorite book when things are tough rather than saying to themselves god i'm stupid nobody likes me self-harming that kind of thing It's treating yourself just like you would a best friend in distress.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That that sounds so empowering. I feel empowered like listening to you talk about it, you know, like
1: get yourself a comfort box. (laughs) It's one of the activities in my book. And it's to say we have a first aid box for physical injuries, right? We should have a first aid box for our emotional injuries. So when we're having a bad day or a sad day, get out our box. It doesn't have to actually be a physical box, it can be a mental one, but you know, and we have that favourite biscuit and a cup of tea, and we put on that movie that we know we love and have that long bath, and we call somebody who really loves us and tell them all about it. And we just treat ourselves beautifully, and it's so much easier to cope. Whereas if you don't eat, you get yourself hysterical, you don't exercise, you don't leave bed, you just feel worse and worse and worse. So you've yeah. got. To eat gotta be your own best friend
0: yeah yeah definitely it's the whole self-care thing and self-care is quite a a big movement at the moment isn't it you know we're talking about it more and more and i I love the idea of like why do we have to treat kids separate to adults in that respect you know
1: exactly and actually the more they practice self-care you know the easier it comes whereas for people who've not done it at all and aren't good at doing it when they're in distress is not a great time to start you know, because they're already upset and unhappy and not thinking clearly. So a lot of these activities are good to practice before anything goes wrong, so they become habitual, you know, and they become easy to easy to access. Yeah, I have, I have a lovely activity in one of the books where um it's a little little bowl, and and some pasta, and for a whole week. I think it's in the in the. I wrote a book for teens about about happiness, and it um so the activity is quite different for teens, but it was a self care activity, and every time during one week. When they're kind to themselves, when they speak kindly to themselves or treat themselves beautifully or do some exercise or eat healthily, they take a piece of pasta and put it in the other cup. And I, I always say by the end of the week, that cup needs to be full because when that cup is full, it is so much easier to have good relationships with other people because when you're happy, you're nicer. You just are and you're more pleasant to be around. You know, It's just a fact. So the more you fill your own cup, that metaphorical pastor you know with self-kindness and relaxation and all those good stuff the more you'll be able to give and then the nicer you are to other people of course the nicer they are to you and it just goes around so yeah we start with filling our own cup
0: yeah yeah that's fantastic it's like you know changing the world from a place of compassion right being compassionate yes. for yourself and then being able to then express that to exactly um... be
1: empathic for yourself you can be empathic for other people accepting yourself you'll accept with the people whereas if there's bits about yourself you don't like you tend to be more critical of other people so yeah it has to start with them themselves and we have to really get across the message that that isn't selfish you know that's self-care and and self-care is a really smart decision always particularly when times are tough
0: yeah definitely and uh, you know just having those those boundaries are really really important aren't they and um you know that can be quite difficult to try and explain the concept of that to grown-ups let alone to children but to start to play you know play with the idea that children can put in those those strict boundaries for themselves as well that's important too yeah
1: because we tend to talk a lot about oh be a good friend to people you know be forgiving and we we tell children let's be polite be grateful but we don't say to them it's okay to walk away from something that's making you really unhappy you know Or, or if you've got a friend who really isn't very kind to you it's okay for you to choose not to spend time with that person, we don't give them those messages, you know, about because because we don't put them first, it's all about how they behave towards other people. And along with self kindness, I think boundaries naturally start to form, but I do think those conversations are important. You know, I was brought up by my mum was just the loveliest person and kind to everyone. She was so fabulous. But her boundaries were really really not the greatest you know and she would end up working almost for people you know going and get in the shopping doing this doing that popping around every day until it kind of became a big weight on her life but she kind of showed me that was the right way to do it and i've had to unlearn a lot of that and realize i am just as important as other people if not more so you know and that's quite hard but we need kids to know that they are vitally important, and if someone doesn't treat them right, they come first. You know, their their well being comes first, and that's a protective factor as well. I think for kids that they don't always have to be polite, they don't have to keep a stranger's secret, they don't have to be kind and nice to someone who's treating them badly, and it's okay to ask for help if somebody's bullying them, for example. You know, I. I speaking to a friend recently and she was saying her child's having a hard time in school I said oh what's the teacher said and she said oh no he won't let me say anything because he doesn't want to be a grass but every day he's going to school utterly miserable and getting no support because it's more important not to be a grass than to look after himself and I want I want kids to get to a place where it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks I need looking after you know yeah I'm yeah a, yeah
0: And to have the skills to be able to to look after themselves because we kind of see we see resilience sometimes as like just grinding through stuff like resilience is quite misunderstood isn't it It it's like putting up with stuff and no pain no gain and all of that sort of nonsense but that's not what resilience is no it? it
1: isn't it isn't it's coping beautifully with the challenges life throws at you using everything in your power to make it less stressful and less difficult you know so asking for help is a really smart resilient factor always rather than rather than drowning in your own stuff because you feel you need to cope with it it's saying this is too hard and getting the support you need that's really smart
0: yeah definitely yeah yeah yeah, very much so I love the idea of self-kindness you know when we when when people's mental health starts to like deteriorate and slide towards mental illness one of the first things people do is turn on themselves you know and i've had so many conversations on this podcast with people that you know say these awful awful things to themselves and repeat almost like mantras in their heads and beating themselves up and stuff like that and um it seems to be the first way we turn right
1: definitely there's a little there's a little trick around that that actually works quite well because we wouldn't say those things to somebody else You know, I might say to myself, oh, Becky, you're waffling on. But I wouldn't say to you, tell me you're waffling on. It's rude, right? But apparently if when you speak to yourself, you use your name rather than just I, it separates yourself a little bit and you realise how unkind you're being. So Becky, you're really waffling on. Sounds a lot nastier somehow than, God, I'm doing this, you know? So, yeah, getting people to use their name and seeing themselves as an actual person. They wouldn't treat themselves so badly. I went to an amazing lecture a few years ago at Nottingham University Hospital. And they had taken some people who were pretty much living long term on a psychiatric ward in the hospital to some really posh charity shops in the area. And they bought them some lovely clothes of their choice. And they'd have their hair done and their makeup done and, you know, or a good shave or whatever, you know, a bit of pampering. Yeah. And they had another group they didn't do that with, but did a couple of therapy sessions. And a few weeks later, they remeasured their levels of happiness. And the, the group that had all this lovely, lovely pampering and self-indulgence were feeling good about how they look, were happier than the people who'd had the therapy sessions. And it's such a simple thing, but just by looking after ourselves, we feel good. We all know that you put on a new top or you have your hair cut, you're like got a bit of swagger. And it might be quite superficial, but self-kindness is a quick win. It is a quick win. It just gives us that lift sometimes that we need. But it was interesting with this group, it was several weeks later, they were still rating feelings of better joy and better self-esteem just through something that simple, you know? Because very often we let things go, don't we, when we're unhappy or we're struggling with mental health issues. And then we look in the mirror and think, oh God, look at the state of me. I'm a mess. I'm no good to anyone. And you just feel rubbish, don't you? So I love that. I just thought, what a simple thing to do and an and, and inexpensive thing to do really compared to paying for therapeutic sessions but just reminding people you look good you know you're worthwhile look at you you look fab and a bit of, a bit of care yeah it's amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah reminding yourself that you that you're worth it yeah yeah, yeah that's brilliant I love that yeah. I'd, like to, yeah I'd like to so let's sort of drill into like Applying that for children a little bit, Becky, because I read um, a wonderful article that you wrote for Happy Full Magazine, and it was um, some ideas about um, self-kindness for kids and why it's employment and stuff, why it's important and stuff like that. And I've jo- I'm I'm going to put you on the spot here because I've jotted a few of them down. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you no, okay?
1: Uh, I've been writing a book on nature crafts completely off the subject that's coming out in September. So my head is full of like woven nature looms and then um, making candles out of shells. So, you know, <laughs> you might point me on the spot.
0: Uh, I thought I might be, but um, we'll, we'll have a go. We'll see how it, how it plays out. But the first one that was really interesting um, to me was um, teaching children to think kindly about, about their bodies. Yes. Um, because I think that's, again, that feeds later on in life when, our mental health can deteriorate for whatever reasons. We can not appreciate the the physical, whether that's a um like body composition issues or whether that's taking care of ourselves and that side of it. it it's yeah. that's a really important thing. I thought
1: absolutely. I mean, body body dysmorphia occurs in really young children too because they are bombarded even at a young age. You know, through all the TV they see and they have huge access to social media, even if perhaps they shouldn't till they're thirteen. They do see it you know all these perfect photoshopped bodies and then they look down at themselves and they think oh what's this little tire of fat you know my legs are a bit stubby i'm not tall my hair's not all sleek and glossy it's quite frizzy and what and even young kids are struggling with body image so it's about getting them to think about what their body can do rather than what it looks like and um to really appreciate that so yeah the idea is to get kids to think about What can my body do? Can I run? Can I jump? You know, can I hug people with my arms? And to just look at every part of the body and appreciate it for what it is, rather than be stuck on. Does it look like what's considered to be attractive in society? For older kids, very much getting to look at different social media accounts. So not to just look one way. But to look at people with disabilities, people, you know, who are perhaps plus size, people perhaps tiny, the Paralympians, not just the Olympics, you know, and just to see the absolute beauty and diversity of other people's bodies, you know, and to realize that they're all different, they're all unique, but aren't they all fabulous? Yeah, my, my friend has a son who um is nonverbal and he absolutely communicates through his eyes and his hands. So he'll reach. For you, and he'll perhaps stroke your face. And his eyes just light up when he sees you. And for my daughter, getting to know him has been a revelation because she can see how amazing his body is, even though sometimes he he doesn't find walking so easy and perhaps he can't talk. But wow, the power he's got in just those hands and those eyes, right? And that's what kids need to be looking at, a massive variety. Of bodies and starting to think oh they're fantastic and then looking at what's so fabulous about their own and books can help with that the media we present kids with is really important so watching watching films which have got disabled characters in you know or or films that have got perhaps larger size people in social media accounts all sorts but diversity is really crucial i think for kids recognizing and appreciating all sorts of bodies otherwise yeah we can hit those teen years and the pressure can be massive yeah, yeah. I,
0: I i just love the idea of again that just sounds like such a nice society where we can just be accepting of of everyone and everything and just yeah. you know really everyone can have a have a place and all fit together and that just sounds nice the idea that you know people talk about being the change well you know if we can like get our kids to be the next generation to do yeah. all these amazing things and that's only going to be positive for everyone's mental health to yes. be in that that yeah. that society the fact yeah,
1: we're, you've been talking about it tom i mean I don't remember, I don't know, I mean, I'm probably quite a lot older than you, but I don't remember when I was young people ever talking about mental health issues, unless something went wrong. You know, I had very sadly, I've had three cousins commit suicide, male cousins. And um, one was 18, one was 50 and one was 60. And I had no idea. And it hurts me so much that I had no idea anything was wrong. Wasn't that close to them? i perhaps see them two, three times a year but had no idea and I think gosh I'd have been there for them I'd have done it, you know and yeah things used to get so so quiet until something dreadful goes wrong sometimes for people and so if we can just get kids comfortable with talking about feelings hopefully if they are starting to think gosh I'm not liking myself or I'm getting a bit stuck with this it's okay to to reach out you know
0: Yeah, definitely. That's that's a, a really important message. Yeah, that's vital. And that kind of ties in the other one that I wanted to ask you about from, from your article was that um, show children how to feel good about who they are, you know, and that, why that one resonated with me is I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And um, so we're in that process now of kind of like, uh, you know, my son starting, well, he started school in September and he's been in and out a bit, you know, it's not been the the plainest sailing, obviously like it has for, for all children. yeah And so when he says to us, Oh, like, I'm really nervous to go into school, we played, play this game. It was actually recommended to me by a previous guest on the podcast, we played um you probably know of it. it's the five four three two one where you name like five things you can see four things you know and we go all the way down and the last one number one is um name one thing you like about yourself and that's what he really struggles with and yeah. he'll say things like oh i love playing with you and i'll say well that's great that you love playing with me but that's not something you love about you yeah. and trying to get him to tune in to give him that that self-belief is is proven quite challenging to me yeah.
1: It can be difficult, can't it? And um, this—I mean, there, there are some simple exercises you can do, like get the kids to draw their body and write, right around it, all the things that they've they've done or who they are. Like look at the sense of humor and things like that. But, but like, say, some kids really struggle. No matter what games you play, they really, really do struggle with that. So, I tend to think that if you get kids involved in service, and I don't mean like mopping your floors or whatever, but doing kind deeds for other people. Really raises their self esteem. And they, you know, even if it's just baking cookies for their gram or writing a letter to a friend that moved away, it gives us that dopamine hit, you know, and it makes us think, oh, we're all right, you know, I'm a nice person. I'm, you know, I'm a good cook or, you know, funny, I included a joke in that letter. And it gives them that little help is high, you know, they're doing something kind for some somebody else and that other person's going to feel fantastic too. So it's an absolute win-win. But that's a lovely way to help them build up some skills and start to appreciate themselves because it's associated with doing good. Whereas if you just perhaps did some baking and the cakes were a bit, I don't know, not very tasty, you might think call them a rubbish cook. But put those cakes in a little box a little ribbon on them and take them to grandma she's not going to care they're no good she'll just really appreciate it and you'll feel fabulous you've done something good so I think if you can weave in their acts of kindness that really helps with self-esteem you know yes. and I think it perpetuates itself it's a bit contagious kindnesses if you're kind to someone they tend to be kind back to you but also if you're kind to someone and you get that little dopamine hit and you think oh I feel good about that you're more inclined to do something else kind And if your identity then becomes, I'm a great cook and an awesome letter writer, and I'm funny and what a kind person I am, that's brilliant. So, yeah, tie activities to good feelings, and often then then they get some value around it, you know? Because you could say to a child, well, let's ask five people what they think of you, but again, that's not coming from them, is it? And it's about getting them to appreciate themselves, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah. that's such a coincidence. I was actually speaking to someone for another episode yesterday and we were talking about um, as a way of, yeah, looking after your own mental health. One of their their methods of self-care was to do things for other people. Yeah. And they, they found that lift really. It, like, it is probably one of
1: the quickest ways, actually, if you're feeling rubbish, just an act of kindness, give someone a compliment or make a quick phone call, and check in how somebody is, write a little letter. It doesn't even have to be long. It could just be a postcard with, Just thinking of you on the back but you actually go and post it you will feel good about who you are you'll start to think I'm a nice person again you know and that's pretty important actually when you're feeling rubbish is to remember that you're one that you're a nice person but also two that you are a valuable member of society you know and that you make a difference to other people's lives because that gives you a purpose for being here and that's really really very important I think for people who think you know who are very poorly and who perhaps think to no point me being alive. I'm no contribution to society. Start to do things for the people, and you'll realise you you matter. You know, and you're part of an important chain of making other people feel good. And I think that's really vital. You know, acts of kindness to the environment are also a really good way to feel good about about yourself. So even just going out and litter picking, for example, you know, or sweeping up your na- neighbor's leaves, or making sure you do your recycling properly, will make you feel you're contributing to society and making the world better. And it gives people a sense of place within it. Then. Yeah, in their community and within the larger world. So I often recommend nature and doing stuff for the planet as like a really healing, healing process for people.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, nature is huge, isn't it? And I, I always find it like it almost changes my kids when I, you know, they don't always want to go out, and we have to kind of like almost like you know half drag them into their shoes, and it's a big thing. And then you get out into uh onto the beach or into the park and these green spaces, and they're just the behavioral stuff goes and the and they just find that sense of like connection and calm through it's incredibly powerful for kids right
1: exactly and that connection bit is really important if we feel connected to the world we feel part of it we don't feel so isolated and getting out and about in nature and interacting with nature very much makes us feel part of the world because it is the natural order of things isn't it that's our place not sat in front of a screen you know playing endless games and being sad because you didn't get to the next level or someone destroyed your tower on Minecraft, but actually being out, you know, in nature, running, looking, exploring. That's the stuff we were made to do. So it's it's very naturally um, healing. And it's also a very good way to be connected. There's a lovely experiment they did with people in hospital um, where they monitored how quickly people went home. And the people that were in a room that looked out on some trees, on average went home a whole day earlier than people that had no view of trees. You know, nature heals us. We feel part of the the world. And it's a simple, simple solution. And even if you live, you know, in an urban environment, there's stuff you can do. And in my, my new book that's coming out in September, it's about nature, nature crafts and play for kids. And one of the activities is to make wildflower seed bombs and then just go out and throw them you know, on bits of ground that look a bit unloved, you know, obviously not in someone's garden, but out, you know, out and about. And my son and I did this last year. Now he's 17, not easy to engage in these activities anymore, <laughs> but he did it. He indulged me and we we seed bombed under the trees all down our road. And this spring, slowly, they all started to like come up with beautiful poppies and little blue flowers all under the trees and it looked gorgeous. And we did that, you know? And that feels really lovely. Even at my grand old age, it's like, I did that, you know? You feel good. We've done something to make the environment lovely for everyone and it feels amazing. So that's yeah. excellent for mental health
0: nature definitely yeah i love that my kids would love doing that like what a fantastic idea yeah definitely that's really cool and the, and the other thing i wanted to chat to you about just because it's kind of current right now and i kind of touched on it before um, talking about getting my kids in and out of school and in and out of nursery yeah. and it, you know like anxiety seems to be much more prominent in children at the moment definitely. and it, i think it, it's really really challenging because There is a difference between children who are sort of naturally quite shy and then children who are anxious about certain situations. It seems like a fine line to me. Yeah. Um, How can we go about kind of maybe distinguishing that? Um, It's it's quite
1: difficult, isn't it? But I, I I think no matter whether it's they're just a bit worried, you know, the situation's all a bit strange and they're quite shy. So it's hard or they struggle with anxiety. Actually, they need the same the same sort of support. You know, they need to know that they can cope. They need to be able to breathe their way through situations. They need to have some little tricks up their sleeve for when it gets too much. For example, I always teach kids PMR. Do you know what PMR Ooh. is, Tom? No. Prevent- <laughs> it's such a mouthful. I swear it's short to PMR. Progressive muscle relaxation. And it's basically where you tense up a bit, then let it go quickly to get that anxiety out yeah and that really works so kids can sit in class feeling very tense and they can curl up their toes really tight and then do a quick release and it just lets their body think okay and when our body thinks it's okay the tension's gone our brain follows suit yeah because they're so interlinked so teaching kids a few little tricks like that or um another one that i i always teach kids is, is a little hand massage you know because they, again, they can do that under the desk, they can stretch their hands out, they can pinch the tops of their fingers, they can give little strokes to their hand, you know, they can lace their fingers and stretch them. And it's a little bit of self care, Saying, so come on, it's okay. And they can reassure themselves without having to make a big fuss, you know, and teaching them to breathe, to really properly co- control their breathing. So they're not, their heart's not racing, their breath isn't going really fast. And that just helps them relieve their anxiety too. So really it's the same kind of tools that all kids that worry need. And when it tips over into anxiety, if they were to come and see a therapist, it's the kind of thing they'd be working on, you know, using positive statements in their head, very very much about the way we talk to ourselves, you know, with somebody with anxiety. I've got... I've got a child I've worked with recently who would say but I can't cope with it I can't and every time he's telling himself I can't cope with it it was reinforcing that message and he had to tell himself instead I can do hard things it is tough but I can do hard things and then I'd get him to remember when he'd done hard things in the past so you know remember when you went to scouts for the first time that was hard when you went to your granddad's funeral that was hard you can do hard things so going to school is going to be hard but you can do it. Because you can do hard things. And so telling yourself that instead of I can't cope is really powerful. Because when you say to yourself, okay, I can do hard things, you suddenly feel a bit more in control. And when you feel in control, you stop panicking. Yeah. And because you're not panicking, your heart's not going too fast. So your body's not tensing up. So your breath's not getting quick. And and the whole thing is quite circular. So very much you start with the thoughts, which affect the feelings, which will affect the behavior. But yeah, positive statements are really important. And then telling those negative statements to shut up. Kids always think that's really funny. I call them green and red, green and red thoughts. So the green ones are the ones you want to keep. They're the go thoughts that I can try, I can ask for help, I can do hard things. They're the green thoughts, right? The red thought weaves in there like, I can't do that. I'm stupid. You just put your hand up and go, shut up and go away. Because it's not helpful to think. It's just not helpful at all to think that way. So you really focus on the green thoughts and you will feel better and your behaviour will go hand in hand with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we do that as adults so much, don't we? All these like limiting beliefs. I can't do this. I can't yeah. possibly cope with that. And we never, yeah. we Like you just said, we never think of all the times uh, where we've, we've completely disproved that statement many, many, many times. And you know, there's a lovely. Th-
1: yeah. Let me tell you this lovely exercise. It's called the motivation table. It's not mine. I read it somewhere. but I can never remember where I read it. So you would write on the top of the table, your imaginary table, what you want. So if it was your child, I'm confident about school, yeah? Or I feel confident about school because that's what you want to achieve. And then you look for the evidence that supports the legs of that table. So one, your child's been to school now probably 50 times. Nothing terrible happened, right? So that's one of the legs. I've done this 50 times. And if I've done something 50 times, I don't need to be nervous about it. Right. The next leg could be, well, I've done lots of hard things before and survived. So maybe went to our first swimming class or, you know, remembered something like that. Another leg could be, well, I've got help. So my parents are helping me at home. My teacher knows I'm worried at school. So they've got my back there. That's another leg that supports that table. And then the fourth one could be, do you know what? I'm funny. I'm friendly and people generally like me. So, you know, I'm going to have some people to hang out with at school and that's your other leg. And then your belief is well supported by those four legs of evidence. So find the desired feeling and then support the evidence that says you can get there. You know, I try and do that with slimming. I think I've been to many slimming classes, you know, I um, can buy healthy food, I've got the money to do that, you know, and I can cook and I want to be slim. So that table is there and it's strong. But sometimes those legs go away and I forget to buy the healthy food or like, cook the right meal, and get a takeaway. But it's about looking for evidence. And we teach kids to do that look for the evidence. You can do hard things, you can mm. cope.
0: Yeah. yeah and all of that kind of um, it's incredible how everything we've talked about so far is just like interlinking and interweaving because what you mentioned there goes back to being able to you know think about positive statements about themselves yes. and you know and yes. put it put it all together that's brilliant but and it
1: takes practice and i think that's the key to it takes practice and the kids got to be on board they've got to be telling those red thoughts to shut up and not giving them attention because they will come in you know, there will be times when they, they feel really mad with themselves and they just want to bang their head on the wall. But think, no, I must do this instead. So reminders are really good. Whether that's a poster, things I can do to calm down that sits up in their in their bedroom, whether it's role modeling from the adults in their life. You know, so for, with your own children, for example, say, do you know, I've had a very, very tough day today. So I'm going to go and take a long bath so my body can really relax. And being verbal about yourself, you know, and overt about your self-care, that all really helps, I think. You know, we need to keep the conversation going and let kids practice because if they've been used to panicking, if they've been used to thinking negatively, we've got to we've got to change those neural pathways and strengthen the positive ones. Mm -hmm. Apparently, we're born with a negativity bias, you know, and that's because in times of like cavemen if we didn't look out for danger we will get eaten right so our brains have evolved this negativity bias so we can have 20 people compliment us one person tells us we're awful that's what we focus on because that's the danger area but we don't need to think like that anymore and actually it's a bit silly isn't it out of 20 people one says something negative so it's about dragging your brain to look at the positive and then strengthening those neural pathways and it's you know our brains our brains are plastic we can do that we can change but it takes a
0: lot of practice. Yeah, definitely practice through repetition, right? Just that yeah. consistency. And I suppose like as parents, if we're working on that as well, and we're so they like modeling behavior, isn't it? That, that yeah. you call it. Yeah, we can set that set that example. Yeah. And just kind of like that's taken over really, really naturally because I wanted to talk about, um, as parents, we often look about these, we try and find like activities for our kids, right? So they can learn new skills and meet new people and stuff like that. And something that I think a lot of people um A lot of people find it can be very different when a child is a little bit resistant to that, to know whether it's something that they, knowing when to push. Because sometimes sometimes children have to do stuff they don't really want to do to prove themselves wrong and to gain these skills that we know we'll get. But then also, I, I think it can be, it's not necessarily, we talked about children needing to feel heard and needing to feel seen. And if you're just saying, no, I'm not listening to you, you're going to go play football, whether you yeah. want to or not. So, how can we start to sort of navigate that as well? Because I think that's really challenging for a lot of parents.
1: That can be very challenging, can't it? I, children like to feel in control. And I think if they're being asked to do something where they're really nervous or they think, I'm not very good at that, they'll just say no rather than perhaps tell you what it is that is really blocking them. They're just going, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't like it, you know? And so as a parent, then you're thinking, well, well, you will like it if you go and you get a bit stuck. So I think it's getting them to try and think about possible solutions can be really helpful. So say what could make it better, you know? What could make it better is a really useful um, question because then the kid has to come up with solutions. And if they come up with the solutions, they're more likely to like the solutions. So, if you say, What would make going to football better? If you said, Well, if I was better at it, it might make it better. Okay, well, how about I spend some time with you um, the night before football matches and we just practice again and again shooting goals? Would that help? You know? And then you're having a conversation about it. And they might say, Nothing would make it better because actually I just find it really boring. Then that's different, isn't it? But you're giving them a chance to say, this is what's blocking me and so I think yeah what would make it better is a really good question my my son used to his probably probably football used to be putting the socks on you know really struggled to put those tight football socks on when he was a little boy and, and it would cause drama before every single football match you know so in the end I just bought him bigger socks just they were too big for him but I just took it away because that was actually the problem. So if you can try and pick what the problem is by saying what could make it better, I think you'll get a bit more, get a bit more from them about what's actually wrong. Or they might say, I just don't really know anyone there. In which case it could be, well, you know, your little mate at school, do you think he'd want to sign up too? And maybe we could call for him on the way, you know? But it's knowing what what's going on. And genuinely sometimes they may just hate it. They may just not be for them. And it's our dream that they're a champion swimmer or that they love football, things like that. But it really, really isn't theirs. But often it's something else. Often it's something else. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think quite often we really feel this need to um, like push our kids into these into these things because we're worried about like tech and we're worried about them being in and stuff like yeah, that. And yeah. So I really want to ask you about um, you mentioned your new book, Becky, yeah. because like the idea of being able to have these like things in nature to do my kids we sometimes take them to like the forest school and stuff like that and they oh, fabulous. absolutely fabulous. absolutely yeah. love it but when yeah. you're um a parent who's not experienced with working with children or anything like that it can be really hard to think of these ideas yes. <laughs> you can really it think can. So, it, and is it, that yeah. what your your new book is about Becky? it
1: is it's it's a year of nature craft and play it's called so it follows the seasons and every week there's a different activity related to the time of year so If it's autumn, it might be making creatures out of conkers. It might be making an autumn mandala. So a mandala, you're collecting loads of material on your walk to get leaves and conkers and and pine cones, for example. And then you come to some kind of clearing on the park and you make a massive picture of it, like a pattern starting with a center point and then building up. And that takes ages, but it's loads of fun. And it means they're really looking at objects whilst they go. And of course, Being out in nature is very mindful. They're very present because they're so focused on what they're doing. They're not worrying about the past or what's going to happen next. They're really in the moment. So it's really good for kids' brains. It helps them deeply relax, you know? And then we've got experiments where you can work out how tall a tree is by walking away from it and measuring different things. And there's geocaching and things like that. So rather than, oh, let's go out for a walk, you turn it onto, let's go and use a, let's let's practice using a compass today you know or we're going to go for a walk but you are totally in charge you decide where we turn each turn. and it's making it more of an adventure and more fun so yeah the book's packed with loads of, of ideas a lot of craft ideas in for kind of the winter months and then in the spring and summer a lot of it's about going out and playing poo sticks for example standing over a bridge everyone throws their sticks in you run to the other side of the bridge sees whose sticks come out first and that kind of thing it just gives lots of ideas for parents
0: yeah it's fantastic like as well introducing that that mindful element and having them present in the moment because yeah. I sometimes feel and I feel this like with my family sometimes on the days where we got to get one to school one to nursery I've got to be at work my wife's got to be at work and it's almost like this from the moment they they get up their little feet barely touch the ground we're yeah. sort of hustling and through life and that's really hard and one thing that the lockdowns have showed me is like how much of an impact well we didn't have to do that stuff anymore yeah. how much of an impact that did have on our our little family so I mean some of that is unavoidable but we are always looking for ways to, to balance that out yeah. in other areas and some of the things you just mentioned that it just sounds like a lot of fun if I'm having fun my kids are going to be having fun it's as well so, right it's so
1: easy to think we need to book up all their free time doing activities that will help them socialize and help them learn and help them be on a par with their peers but then we would not come home from work would we and go to Swimming and then and then um I, I don't know some other kind of online class and then and then go to this. I one night years ago I took my son to two swimming lessons in a night. He had a private one and then he because he wasn't doing very well and then a group one and then there was something else we had to go to and then I thought well, he's been at school all day. I've worked all day. What am I doing? What am I doing this time? There's lots and lots of time and it's okay not to do everything, but it can be very easy, I think, when kids are young, to kind of schedule everything in. But we all need a rest, and actually, they, you know, kids need to be chilling out, reading, watching movies, having cuddles, doing a bit of baking when they feel like it, and they need time. Definitely, they need time to be able to talk to you about things that are bothering them or things that worry them. And sometimes they don't have that time because we are on it all the time, busy, 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 and that's that's not good.
0: Yeah, definitely. I suppose kids just, you know, quite often we see kids as like completely separate to us as adults. But I think yeah. what like our conversation today if it, you know one of the many takeaways and I'm going to listen again Becky with a notepad because today it's just been awesome but um yeah one is that they they're just smaller versions of us they need the same things maybe in different ways but they need the the same mechanisms they need the same support the same love the same self-care as you know we need to we don't treat them every day it it shouldn't be one rule for parents and one for kids should it no it
1: shouldn't and and they need to feel that they can cope when things go wrong and we need to teach them that that they can think positively they can ask for help they can express their feelings they can nurture themselves and just these key key core concepts will help them all their life. And if we can entrench them in little kids, hopefully they'll become adults who've got real, really good emotional and mental health
0: yeah and that's you know what a perfect statement to finish on there becky i enjoyed that so much i can't thank oh, you enough for your time you. yeah and um you know i'll um i'm really looking forward to that book in september so i'll put like links and stuff in the episode notes and i'm gonna i'm gonna check those out and i'll make sure everyone knows where to to find all your stuff but thank you for your time that was absolutely You're really fantastic. really
1: welcome really welcome have a lovely day to
0: you too becky thank you Bye. For listening from the proper mental podcast, please like and subscribe. There's five stars.